Hello and welcome. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Lily. And this is Little Home Organised, a podcast dedicated to helping you declutter, get organised and reclaim time for the things you love. When your child stands in the doorway and you say tidy your room, it's like an explosion of visual overload. Chaos breeds chaos, for sure. There is no parenting book out there for your child. So it actually gives you licence to be incredibly creative. You can break all the parenting rules, really. Hello and welcome. Today we'll be joined by psychologist Jenny Rice to talk about organising your child with ASD. We're going to chat about why being organised is important for children with ASD, how to help them juggle school, family, social responsibilities and some simple tips to help your child become more independent. Jenny is a psychologist who developed a special interest in the autism spectrum disorders from her early years on at the Developmental Clinic and Autism and Related Disorders Clinic at the then Marta Children's Hospital. Now in private practice with 35 years experience under her belt, she has worked with thousands of families affected by ASD to improve outcomes for the child as well as family harmony. Welcome Jenny. Thank you for inviting me. So for people out there, who aren't 100% sure, what is ASD? Okay, it is a spectrum of disorders um, and it goes from severe, where you have nonverbal children with intellectual impairment, to the other end, which where you can have people with savant abilities and our universities have plenty of people with ASD um, in them. They, rep- they represent every uh, level of intellectual ability. The disorder is characterised by biosocial communication and really if I had to summarise ASD, one of the biggest obvious deficits is what we call a theory of mind deficit and that is the ability to understand that other people have thoughts and feelings that differ from your own. Another good way of looking at it is mind blindness and I like that because I use that analogy a lot. Mind blindness, if you use the analogy of vision impairment and vision blindness, at one end you have children who've never seen light or or dark or colour or shade and that would equate to the severe end of the autism spectrum disorders. And then at the top end of um, vision impairment, you've got people who wear contact lenses and when they wear contact lenses, they function like everybody else. So that's a really big spectrum. So in the middle, you might have a guide dog. You might have lights, traffic lights that beep to let you know it's safe. You might have all kinds of devices to scaffold you so that you can have a, a normal life, as normal as possible. And it's the same for ASD. It You need to identify the profile of the child to determine what kind of scaffolding uh, the child needs uh, to facilitate them to be the best in, that they can be and reach their potential. And many of these children, um, you know, the the so-called disability is more like a disability. and by the time they reach adult life and find their own um, preferred pathway, um, their differences become a lot less obvious. Do you find that there are a particular set of symptoms that generally characterise a lot of people with ASD? Well, theory of mind is the big one. Um, so recognising uh, other people have thoughts that are thoughts and feelings um, that are different to your own. That's a big one. 
Um, sensory issues. There are a huge number of people on the spectrum whose sensory systems are really wired and uh, and they may be f- affected in only one of the senses or all of their senses. Um, and they're generally amplified. So auditory sensitivity is a big one, but it can be olfactory, which is sense of smell. It can be tactile, defensive or tactile seeking behaviours. So the, the children that actually want to uh, engage in their physical environment and touch and touch and touch. And then there's the ones that want to uh, avoid being touched and uh, get very upset with people in their personal space. But the whole range, visually, these children are often very visually alert and easily stimulated visually. Some of them are very sensitive to light and brightness, um, but always they are very alert to detail, which is a strength. In, in some jobs, it's really important to have that eye for detail. I like my surgeons to have that eye for detail. <laughs> yes, we all do. <laughs> So we're obviously coming from a perspective of, you know, we're focused on organisation mm. and, you know, decluttering your house, getting organised, reclaim time for the things you love. And I think one of the things when I think of someone who has ASD is that organisation is really important for that person. So could we talk about why being organised is an important factor for someone living with ASD? Okay, I'm going to challenge you there. For some children with ASD, being organised is really important and for others, if you touch their stuff, they're going to be very cross. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be very clear about whose agenda are we serving here. Is it mum's agenda to have all the Lego picked up? It would be mine. It's not very nice to tread on Lego in the middle <laughs> of the night. But some children with autism have their own sense of order and it doesn't doesn't replicate ours. So I think you've got to be very respectful of the autistic um, way of seeing the world. And when you consider that they work very hard to conform to the agenda that's imposed on them, i.e. what the kindergarten wants them to do from 9 till 2.30, what the school wants them to do from 9 to 3, by the time parents get their children, they have been doing things that are anti their nature. So another way of seeing um, the challenge for ASD children is they have always got their own agenda and it's competing with the agenda that we impo- impose on them, i.e. mum and dad's agenda, the school's mm. agenda, etc. So, yes, they need to be organised because of sensory overload issues. I'm a great advocate for very sparsely decorated homes and rooms for these children. And unfortunately, the trend in education is to have lots of bookshelves, lots of paintings hanging from the wall, lots of stuff all over the wall. So it makes me wonder if the old way of the classroom being sparse and it would have a picture of the Queen, the multiplication table (laughs) and the alphabet (laughs) and that was it. (laughs) And you didn't share, you didn't share your pens and pencils, you had your own desk. Uh, There wasn't indoor voices and outdoor voices, there were no voices when you were inside, you listened to the teacher. And I often wonder whether today's education environment is actually flushing children with ASD out because it is so contraindicated 
um, to the way they are wired. Maybe those kids that I was sitting next to uh, when I was a little girl had autism, but they were catered for really well. They had a very calm, highly structured environment. And so their anxiety levels were in check. So back to the question about organisation. And it is about management of anxiety. If you can manage the child's anxiety, i.e. through having a decluttered, calm predictable uh, environment, you're accessing their cognitive capacity, i.e. their thinking. And that's what we need. We need our ASD children to learn the social stuff that other kids intuitively know. The ASD mind is a very logical mind and a lot of social conventions are not logical. So it's really hard for them to accept sometimes. You do it because you do it. You do it because we said so. You do it because it's a nice thing. I think it's so interesting what you say about the classroom because many people out there would walk into, you know, a classroom with all that, the pretty colour and all the stuff that's up there and think, wow, you know, there's so much here for my child to learn. What a beautiful classroom. But someone else looks at that and thinks, wow, that's really, that's too much for me. Yeah, they're overstimulating. Yeah. A lot of the therapists that work with children with ASD will have very compartmentalised workspaces where they have a place for everything. And I think... It's about getting in early with the little E's and and making it a part of the game. So you're playing with this game and a part of the game is the putting away of the game. And a lot of kindies and childcare centres these days do that really well. In the home environment, I would be encouraging tidy up to happen after. Okay, so the kid's got the Lego out. Let's put that away before we get the jigsaws out. So it's the finish one activity before you move on to the next one. Absolutely. So one of the things that causes anxiety for children with ASD is closure, finishing. I'm doing, I'm busy mum. Mum says come to dinner but I haven't finished. I'm busy. My show's still on. So closure and transition anxiety is really, um, it really impacts on happiness in the family, uh, harmony, um, but it also elevates these children. They like to finish things they've started. So I remember a, a period in education, and I don't know whether th- this might have been the period where you ladies went through school, where they would have workstations and there would be a little bell and you'd move, little groups would move from one workstation to the next one, a little bell would go off. Well, that was a nightmare for children with ASD because they'd just get into something that they thought was terribly important they'd be enjoying it and then a little bell would go and they'd have to all move to the next thing yeah that's a really good point and I actually think about Mr Five and he does that at school because I've gone a couple of times for reading groups and they have the timer and they move between activities and he seems to cope all right with it which is good considering he's you know very a very logical black and white child Um, but I do see a couple of the kids that yeah, really struggle with the, oh, we're not finished and how can we move on thing. And, What's and a strategy to stop that or to help well, them with that? Well, if you know that you have a, an ASD child in the group, you shorten the activity. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the activities that um, in the early years of education is uh, literacy might be put the word in the empty space. And when you finish that, you can do a drawing. Well, with the ASD child, you say just put the word in the space because they're not going to know what to prioritise. What's the important thing here? This is an ASD trait. Is the important thing the word or the drawing? And so if they've put the word in the space, that's actually the task the teacher wants them to do. 
the drawing is killing time while the slower children catch up. But if you then say to that child, well, now you can stop that drawing and they're only halfway through it, they will get, they will get upset. Mm. So we do a lot, of, a lot of things that really escalate the anxiety levels and stress levels of these children. It's, it's important to them for closure. So it is about getting in early and, and helping them to come to the end of something. Time is this great, countdowns, warnings, giving them plenty of time. How long do you think it will take you to finish that drawing? Five minutes, let's put the timer on. And if it does take a little bit more, take into consideration, hey, look, it probably is only going to be a little bit more and they will be happy if they get that extra minute. Sure, some kids will take advantage of that. The parents know that child, but it's just respectful. Um, to not say, I said now, do it now. Stop what you're doing, do it now. It doesn't work. So it's about having a bit of a negotiation, Help it, helping them feel like they've got a little bit of power. A little, a little bit, bit of, of control, control, a little bit of control. Sometimes it's about um, would you like to do it now or would you like to do it after dinner and give them a choice of two. Um, I think it's – I just think it's respectful. But you can also – the thing that I think is really important to realise with children with ASD, and we're talking about organisation, so we're talking about possessions. And what they lack in interrelationships and social um, relationships, friendships and, and the like, they form very strong attachments to things and activities. So whether it's um, Thomas the Tank Engine or their favourite toy that they drag around, those things are very important to them and for for mum to whisk them away and shove them in a box can be really devastating for these children and I think you have to be very respectful of the fact that the relationship they have with possessions is quite different to the relationship neurotypical. So when I go and do kindy visits, for example, you will see the neurotypical children will negotiate about the use of toys or the additions to the Lego buildings or the blocks. They'll negotiate anything to keep a social interaction going, whereas the ASD child will push the other child out and say, no, 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 I don't want that piece on my building. No, don't touch that, that's mine. So territorial and and their attachment to possessions is really important. So in the home, it is about respecting that attachment and working with it. So your favourite colour is blue. Why don't we put your favourite toys in the blue box? What colour will we put the things that are less important to you? When you have friends over, which are the toys you do not want other children to play with? Because let's put them out of the way, out of sight, so that you don't have to worry but be aware, if you leave certain toys out, the rule is they are share toys and you place those rules in advance. Because mm, kids who have ASD are really big with rules, aren't they? And it's something we can use and we do use. And often when a new thing comes into the house, before it comes into the house, before it crosses that threshold, you can say, oh, you've got a new PlayStation, the rule is... It comes out at five o'clock and it goes to bed at six o'clock. Mm. And you can put the rules in place ahead of time. It's important because the other thing we know about these children is you can set precedence without wanting to really easily. So if the PlayStation comes into the house without your terms and conditions, you are going to have an argument when you ask him to stop. Mm. So I've always warned parents 
you know, I call them the parent traps. So that toy that that child has been nagging you for, it's a very powerful toy. It has a lot of uh, reinforcement value. It's a carrot you can use. Don't let it come into the house without putting terms and conditions on it. So... Again, I'm, I'm not quite sure how that ties into organisation, but if you think about the characteristics of the child with ASD and work with them and the very things that can be seen as challenges, being rule-bound and rule-conforming, you can use as strengths. Yeah, you can use those things to your advantage as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So from what you're saying, it sounds like there's a lot of preparation that can be done to set things up. yes set yourself up for success and set your ASD child up for success as well. And I think it's easier these days, Lil, because in the in the early days, a lot of paediatricians were not going to diagnose children under five, especially the high-functioning children. We'd wait and see how they coped with school. Fortunately, because the knowledge is out there now, we're picking these children up and identifying them a lot earlier. And we we in the business, the OTs and the speeches and the psychs, advocate early pickup because it makes such a difference. You can get in early and set the stage for success. It's really hard to backtrack. So for example, if I get a child at 11 who's just somehow flown under the radar and hasn't been picked up early, there's a whole lot of stuff that I have to try and undo. There's precedents that have been set in that child's mind, but that's the rule that they've always gone by. It's very hard to change those rules. So if you're going to make rules... You've got to like those rules. I, I use the example of, isn't that kid cute? He, he's three years old. He goes into a, a supermarket and presses every damn button in the elevator. <laughs> and we think it's all very cute at three and then at ten he's still doing it. Yeah. You know, not funny anymore. No. So Jack's gotten old for some of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we should maybe take a quick break and go into our next segment, which is Clutter Confessions. Clutter Confessions. <laughs> Clutter Confessions is all about a weird, wacky or wonderful item that you've held on to. So it's not that you've got a huge pile of laundry in your spare bedroom that you, you feel that's your clutter confession. It's more that weird thing you picked up on a trip overseas that you got from some market that someone else would go, what is that? And you think, no, it's so cool. I love it and I can't let go of it. So is there anything you can think of, Jenny, that you've hung on to? There are so many things. I cannot begin <laughs> to narrow them down. And and so I'm thinking I better make them safe things that I've kept. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to do a very good job of this, but I a sentimental one. I'll I'll just go with the sentimental one because now of course it's so outdated and that was a little brooch that as a little girl, I just loved it. it. was a little bird of happiness. I've still got it. And I was going through all my little nicky-nacky, you know, those things on top of your – the trinkets, the trinkets and the yeah, miscellaneous stuff. And I did a great job, you girls would be proud of me. I threw <laughs> out so many trinkets. But you know what? Even though no one will ever pin a brooch on a little girl – because of health and safety, I couldn't part with it. And then I thought, I don't have to anyway. It only takes up a tiny little bit of space. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all about the justification, isn't it? <laughs> yes, no, it right. holds a beautiful memory for you. It's a beautiful sentimental piece. Well, the other one that I came up with, of course, was the uh, was 
all the four boys um, oh, medals for, you know, soccer and volleyball and water polo and swimming and, you know, these days they give those out for everything. And so I had <laughs> you know, a trying. huge box of them. Yeah, for trying, yes. <laughs> for, for participating. Showing so, up. so for showing up, yes. So I, having had four boys who did everything, I had boxes and boxes. And I sat there looking at them thinking, oh, I remember that race meeting and I remember that game and getting all very mushy over it. And then I thought, I wonder what my now adult men mm. would think if I offered them back to them, they'd say, get rid of them. Yeah. So <laughs> I've, I was very proud of myself. I got rid of them. Oh, well done. They weighed the rubbish bin down. I can imagine. Mm. And it's interesting how many people we come across who as adults, their parents give them those those sentimental memorabilia items and they go, what did you hold on to this for? It's just one of those things. So we want to hear your clutter confessions. Anything weird, wacky, wonderful, any item in your house that you've had on to that other people might go, oh, that's a little bit weird, that's a little bit odd. We want to hear about it. Jump on over to our Facebook page, Little Home Organised Podcast, and all you need to do is just send us a message on the page. So you just hit the message button and send it as a voice message and then we will get to play it on the podcast. And don't worry, we keep it anonymous. So I have a question, getting back to children with ASD and in your home. Hmm. So if I'm someone who happens to be more chaotic in how I leave my space and I have a child with ASD and they grow up being around that chaotic space, if they grow up with it, will they be more accustomed to dealing with it or handling it? Or that seems to be a pretty standard trait across the board that, you know, that visual stimulus is is too much in general? That is a really good question. And I guess something I didn't touch on before was that Every child with ASD has their own temperament. So if you've got a compliant little temperament child with with ASD, you've got a very different kettle of fish to the testing child who is going to do it their way come hell or high water. So chaos breeds chaos for sure, absolutely. So if you have a chaotic household, you are going to have the kid who the teacher is constantly ringing you and saying they didn't do their homework, they didn't have their library bag, they didn't have their swimming costumes. It is certainly really valuable to model the behaviour that you want to see for your child. And the schools do a great job of helping kids get organised apart from their cluttered rooms but there are additional things you can do so colour coding is a really good thing to do even with in high school it's a real challenge where kids have to move from teacher to teacher classroom they go to those lockers for example and so colour coding putting all your science gear in one folder with its own set of pencils and rubbers and rulers so each subject has their individual pencil cases because relying on the child to think about what do I need in the science lesson ain't going to happen and one of the reasons is they don't really want to go to science anyway. So colour coding and having everything the child needs so they can go to the locker and go boom the red one is science off I go and it's got everything I need for science. The other thing that's really important about storage and organisation for these children is accessibility. So in school situations in particular, it always makes me cringe when I see that the locker that that child has been assigned is right in the middle. So they're going to have kids reaching above them, kids underneath them, kids to the right, kids to the left, and 
it's in a transition period. Yeah, so it's like ev- all things in one. It's a perfect storm. Mm. So even choosing the right location for the locker, always choose the one on the perimeter. And the one that they're not bending down to so they've got bodies above them, above their heads, reaching over them. So some of the kids are fine and they adapt and they just stand back. What happens then is they're late to class. So even simple things like the location of the locker and organising their gear, and a lot of teachers are really onto it now uh, with the setup of their tidy boxes and the, the uh, bags on the back, and we'll, we'll schedule weekly clean-outs. Their tidy boxes usually look pretty awful. And of course they can't find anything, so you do need to model it. I have been asked many times about, he don't, you know, they don't keep their room tidy what the, what do we do with this? And really, the bottom line is you do have to show them the way. So starting out by modelling hand over hand, I'll do the pencils, you do the shoes. Let's see who can do them fastest. And show them that you categorise things. The thing about children with that visual alertness is they see every individual thing. They don't automatically group it into categories. We do, most of us do. We'll say, okay, I'm going to pick up all the pencils and I'll put all the pencils away. And lo and behold, you do the pencils, you do the shoes, you do a few of the Legos and all of a sudden the room's tidy. When your child stands in the doorway and you say, tidy your room, it's like an explosion of visual overload. You actually have to help them formulate a way of doing it, and that is categorising. So the pencils, the shoes. That's a great tip. It's like that whole eating an elephant one bite at a time thing. You've got to break it down into chunks because the task is much easier to handle when it's in smaller chunks. Yeah, and it's important that they can see that it's doable because Mm. just tidy room, it's like telling a child to be a good boy. Yeah, what does a good boy look like? Yeah, that's what is, right. What does what a tidy look, like? look like? And you do, you do have to recognise the timing as well. So their agenda versus your agenda. Have they been good little kids all day long for the teacher and they come home and then mum's got a huge set of rules in place? Um, you know, do this, do that, do that. And then they wonder why they have an explosion. Mm. So being respectful of the need for – I have children who say to me, Jenny, when is it okay to have own time? Mm. And it breaks your heart because it's, it's important for them to have their own time and for us to be respectful. So unfortunately for parents, they often get the children at the worst time of the day. They're already spent. Mm. They've already been being good all day. Mm. It's uh, like they've held teacher. it all together all yeah. day and now they're yeah. at home in their safe place where they can let it out and often as parents we get the ugliest bit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'm very aware of that. And then you throw in a, a, a sibling that likes to poke the bear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and a disaster ensues. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So um, unfortunately we are running out of time, but I did want to ask one last question. I feel like we could, as you say, talk about all this for hours and you do have a wealth of knowledge. Let's say you are in a position where your house is a bit more chaotic and you're thinking, all right, I want to make this room less stimulating. I want to make my house less Mm. stimulating. I want to do this, but I want to work with my ASD child so that this isn't, you know, a really disruptive experience. If you are looking to declutter, what would be some things that parents should keep in mind when doing this? Oh, well, if one thing comes in, one thing goes out, 
they can be very attached and not want to get rid of things. Some of them will collect stones and they can be really ugly little stones. They don't even have to be pretty stones. But to them, they're really important. They're a collection. So you can have a rule about you can have 20 stones, you can't have 2,000 stones. Mm. Um, Which 20 stones would you like? And being respectful. If they've done a Lego building and they don't want you to deconstruct it, where can we place this so it doesn't trip you over or your brother doesn't get it? get to Mm. it so recognizing the significance of the things to the child is really important I think one of the hardest things is for them to relinquish toys so they're worse than the worst when it comes to no 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 I was using that or I'll use that and they've outgrown it by five years some of the children have got wonderful little hearts and will be very happy that sense of social justice which some of the children with ASD uh, do have and knowing that it's going somewhere where that little boy hasn't got any toys and you haven't used it sometimes that works another one can be I tell you what we're not going to throw it out we're going to put it in a special place in the garage and then two years later when the child has hasn't missed it you can dispose of it you can negotiate that instead of just cold turkey throwing it out. Um, it's still there, but put it out of sight and out of mind and, and see whether the child actually does miss it. The unfortunate thing is so many children with, on the spectrum have brilliant memories. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely amazing memories. Like an elephant. Like an elephant, mm. yeah. So, so you have to follow you, – you can't deceive them, you can't – Put them in the put them in the garage, but actually put them in the bin. You actually do need to have that bag because in the morning they're going to wake up and say, "You know that bag? Mm. Can I have a look at it? Where is it? Can you show me? Yeah, Prove it to yeah. me." I wanted to talk about the clothing too because I know so many parents get upset about the way their children dress. Um, yes, and it's really simple actually. You just buy clothes that will be colour coordinated and you have a top straw and a bottom straw and That's any top it. will go with any bottom because yes. um, a lot of the children that, that I see come in and I realise they have very strong preferences in their clothing. I can tell because I think it's lovely that they can choose. They can choose. Okay, yes, you, you choose what you want to wear today. I think that's a nice thing for them to be able to do. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Jenny. There's been so much quality information here for people and I feel like I've learned a lot as well. If people are wanting to learn more about working with their ASD child, are there any resources you can recommend them? It's not easy to do because there's so much stuff on the internet, but it's not all quality. I think the important thing is to realise that you will become your child's expert. You will write the How to Parent child five book Um, there is no parenting book out there for your child you write it as you go there are certainly a lot of things you shouldn't do Uh, there are a lot of no's but there's an infinite number of yeses this is we can do this so it actually gives you license to be incredibly creative you can break all the parenting rules really and be very creative well having three children of my own that is good to know (laughs) because a lot of what you have said today I am thinking yep Mr Five it definitely ticks a lot of those boxes and we're going on that journey at the moment for um, diagnosis but it's good to know that he is someone even though he does have an elephant memory um, we started very early with those rules and those expectations about when things came in and what to do with them and we have an orphanage that we support and so now he will come 
to me and say, mum, I'd like, I don't like the wiggles anymore. Can we give these wiggles undies to the orphanage? And I'll go, okay, yep, great. No worries. So that's been something that's been really beneficial for us in our household, I think. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for coming on our show today. It has been awesome learning more about kids with ASD. It's been really valuable. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. On to this week's tidy task. So if you have a child that has ASD or you've just got a child who's maybe not as organised as you would like them to be, your tidy task this week is to pick one little space to work with your child to actually declutter and organise. So use some of the tips and tricks that we have talked about with Jenny here today. So maybe something like introducing a colour coding system. Colour coding is so brilliant, especially if you have multiple children as well, because you can negotiate with the child and say, what's your favourite colour? Right, we're going to buy baskets that are orange for you and your sister's going to have purple and then it makes it really visually easy to see what belongs to who. So that's it for your tidy task this week. If you are on Facebook, we have a community that we'd love you to join. It's Little Home Organised Community. Come and share your before and afters, ask questions. There's a wonderful brains trust in there. And that's it for this week's episode. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, progress, not perfection. See you later. Bye. Hey, we'd love to keep the conversation going. Head over to the Little Home Organised Community Group on Facebook, ask questions, find motivation and share your before and afters. And if you enjoyed the show, please help us keep it going by hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's free and ensures you do not miss an episode. But if you really want to share the love, leave us a rating and review. Trust me, it makes all the difference in the world.